This is Phantom Power. to another episode of Phantom Power, your monthly deep dive into all things sound in the arts and humanities. I'm Mac Haygood, and the audio you just heard comes from the long-running project called The World According to Sound. It started off as a podcast, then it became a live listening series. Now it's a virtual distributed experience that's available to folks online streaming. I mean, (laughs) it's a little bit hard to explain actually, but we'll get into that. But the world according to sound is the brainchild of my two guests today. I'm Chris Hoff. Um, I'm actually based in San Francisco and yeah, I'm more of a sound engineer come from the public radio world and I'm the co-creator of the world according to sound. Uh, I'm Sam Harnett, uh, Primarily a reporter, but now full-time, World According to Sound, co-creator. Like Chris, Sam comes from the world of public radio, and as you'll hear, they sort of have a complicated relationship with their old boss. Well, well, we started uh, basically as a reaction to public radio. I mean, Chris and I have both been doing public radio for over a decade. Chris is an engineer, me as a reporter. And one day we were just like, you know, as much as... Uh, We love public radio. There's like no sound on radio. If you listen to public radio, what you hear is people talking. You hear facts and information and stories and characters, but you hear very, very little sound. When I met Chris and Sam, they were in the middle of editing their latest project. And you might say they were neck deep in what we could call ancient audio. By your most marvelous inventor. Oh man, we are it's kind of been a hard week. <laughs> we are mired in the pre-1923 audio show. And let me tell you, that material is interesting, <laughs> but it is also like after listening to it for 40 hours, <laughs> you're like, if I hear one more crackly, like hard one more <laughs> shitty cylinder spinning, you know, with cracks on it. <laughs> right. And I don't care if it's like the first time Thomas Edison's voice was recorded or if it's the first banjo solo or if it's an an exercise tape from the teens. Like, I just don't want to listen to this shit anymore. <laughs> but, but you know. It, it doesn't bode well for the show. Yeah, right? Yeah. You guys are doing the hard sell right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. As you can probably hear, Chris Hoff and Sam Harnett bring a bit of a skeptical ear to things. They are really sensitive to the kinds of tropes and cliches we become accustomed to in radio and podcasting. They are restless listeners who attempt to blaze a different trail in audio to a place where sounds inspire divergent experiences rather than having a narrator like me tell you what to think. 
But as I quickly learned, Sam and Chris bring this same skeptical ear to their own work. And despite their very impressive body of work, they are not ones to rest on their laurels. So today, we'll have a wide-ranging conversation about the world according to sound. And towards the end of the show, I'll share a special opportunity for you to take part in their upcoming sonic experiments. For our listeners who don't know, what is The World According to Sound? So the show started with the premise of, can we make a, a radio show that actually has sound as the focus? Um, and our, our concept was, we're going to formally restrict ourselves to basically force us not to, to abandon our public radio conventions. So, so the idea was we were going to make a 90-second show, and we were uh, going to not have a story or characters be the focus, but actually have sound. These are telephones for sale at Yodobashi Camera, a giant electronic store in Kyoto, Japan. In one corner of the shop, there are racks and racks of phones, all ringing and playing their answering machines. And that was that was like the genesis of the show. Yeah, but it's it's since I mean we did that for only like a year and a half. Like we were making these little ninety second episodes, but we quickly turned it into this other thing, like this basically this live event. We got this idea that we had all this like really cool sound that we just been digging up, both in our own recordings and from other people, other artists, and like this idea just like came to us that yeah we should be kind of mixing this stuff for multi-channels and we came and, and we settled on 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 eight channels but like with that you can like you can really move sound around a space and when you bring people together all in the space to listen like really intentionally there's something really powerful about that for us and we've really like that's where we've been going since then is this much more sort of you know dynamic I don't know the word. It's like a much more sort of immersive sound experience. And that's where more where we are today. Like we've kind of gone away from radio, not entirely, but this is really not what our interests are anymore. Yeah, I mean, in, in some way, we sort of backed into both of these things. I mean, like if you dial back the clock on public radio, the idea of having uh, audio pieces where sound is the focus was like very commonplace uh, on public radio airwaves in like the 80s and early 90s. Um there was actually one of the guys who is in one of our shows, the sound artist Bill Fontana. He used to have a public radio program that was four and a half minutes of sound. And all he would do is at the end, he would identify what the sound was. And that was on uh, KQED. It was on KQED and it was syndicated uh, to most major public radio stations. Like that was a common program you would hear. And now, you you know, you wouldn't hear anything like that. So our show is like was like. In a way, we were just like kind of redoing what people were doing in the past, even in like a kind of more limited context. Um, and the, sort of the same thing about our live show, like this idea of, of like getting together and listening to a bunch of stuff on a speaker array, like, you know, sound artists and folks in that world have been doing that forever. But right. in the public radio world, like that kind of aesthetic experience or sound centric experience just isn't done. So we're very much like novices, uh, I would say. And like we sort of backed into both of the like both of those endeavors. Yeah, I, 
I, I think this this piece about NPR and its influence is really interesting. I, I read somewhere where you guys were talking about how you got sort of bored and frustrated with the role of narrative in NPR's uh-huh. programming um, and in your jobs. And, and I think that's fascinating because, you know, my interest in starting my podcast as an academic coming from, from that space is that all academics are storytellers, but we don't usually know it, right? Like when a biologist writes the methods section of their scholarly article, that's a story they're telling. Yeah. But in order to maximize our academic authority, we're kind of trained to suppress the story part and the idiosyncratic and interesting aspects of what we do. And so in Phantom Power, I wanted to use sound as a way to draw out these really interesting narratives that I see embedded in scholarship Hmm. about sound, which we kind of have to tell on the silent page. Um, But as I progressed in, you know, sort of, as this sort of amateur trying to feel my way towards doing something that sounded good, I couldn't help but notice that like my lifetime of listening to NPR was had really imprinted itself yep. on what I was doing and the way that I told the stories. And, and I have really mixed feelings about that, you know, because yeah. NPR launches like the best storytellers in audio, right. but it's also kind of like this hegemonic force <laughs> that has gotten sort of, um, I don't know, like you say, like less experimental than it started right, yeah. off as. I mean, yeah, yeah, we have a lot. I mean, we have, yeah, there's a ton to say here. We could but, talk for hours and we're also not the most articulate like but, on that subject. Cause I think it is really like, complex, but. Yeah. Just like a couple things. I mean, yeah, there's like two things. It's like, I mean, a, like the right. If like, like this is going to sound like a cliche, but storytelling is incredibly pow- Like it's incredibly powerful, right? Like that's, it is, I think, the best way for sort of humans to synthesize information. You know, we've been doing it for thousands of years, like all that. It's clear that it's that it's super effective and super powerful. Um, at the same time, kind of what, what you're getting at, though, if it can fall into, you know, like sort of ruts and um, if you're not critical of it, it just becomes this, you know, sort of stupefying force in itself. It's just like the form itself becomes monotonous and you just kind of become uncritical and unthinking. And that's like where, where Sam and I kind of got to after being in this world for, you know, seven, eight, nine years is like, yeah, it's super powerful, but we're kind of all doing the exact same thing. And we're all using it in this sort of like, you know, very almost manipulative way. And like, how can we, how can we kind of wake up to that and like get ourselves out of that? Like as a, as a medium, as a public radio medium, that was kind of one thing. Yeah. And I would like to, to leap off of that. Basically, Storytelling is a powerful format, but is not good in and of itself. Like telling a good story, like I always think of the story is like the the frame to get people to pay attention and to follow you. It's it's actually a, like like a way to command attention, right? If you're a good storyteller, you got everyone's paying attention to you. But if you don't have some reason for telling that story, then it it, it does fall into what Chris is saying. It's sort of manipulative. You're just getting people to pay attention to you without any substance. And I think. What has happened is like this format works really well. Like people like Ira Glass or, you know, producers on for, for NPR, they've gotten really good yeah. at this format. But what they've forgotten is what are the reasons for telling these stories? And and what we've arrived at is that a story is good in and unto itself. Like if you tell a good story and people are engaged with it, then you're doing something good. Right. And the, the critique is missing. Like, you, yeah, like you, I think about this all the time. It's like as a reporter, 
you're like, you're doing these stories about like homelessness or income inequality or racism. And you find yourself falling into these predictable story formats where there's like, it's intriguing. There's a twist. There's character development. There's plot. There, people are following along to get this story. And then when you take a step back, you're like, well, these subjects are huge. Like in a four and a half minute story, like you, you probably shouldn't have a predictable end or, or a satisfying close to a story on homelessness. Cause it should be, yeah, it should be very confusing and right. upsetting. Like that's what it should be because the issue is a goddamn mess. Right. And like, you don't understand it after four and a half minutes, you understand uh, 2% of it. So like, right. and yeah, that, it's just a crazy and that doesn't, yeah, a disconnect. And, and in the yeah. storytelling format, that doesn't work. Right. Like, like you can't just like be like, and that's the end of the story. And actually there's no conclusion or satisfying and end. Fucked. And, and, and we don't really here, know. Our character is really fucked, but like, we're going to pretend like he's okay. Right. And, yeah. So, so that all led us to like, well, then you, if you want to get at bigger subjects or like make people like think differently, like you, you can use sound in an aesthetic sense to create feelings or emotions or at least spark intrigue or, or, or curiosity. So again, I think. Like the, the, the central idea of our show, our 90 second show, or even our, our live show is that we want to use sounds to sort of get people into space where they're like having thoughts themselves, critiquing format, thinking about different things, but not like presenting them with these like prepackaged little, little sort of anecdotes and answers. Or even with the point of view for that matter. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, we're basically, yeah, the whole space is to yeah, it's, like, it's to have an experience and not come away with any sort of meaning or like message or moral. Like, what's the takeaway, Chris? Yeah, what's the through line. Where, where's this going? It's like, what, what's the audience going to get at? You know, it's it? also just like one last thing. Like, it's really weird too. With with like through this work, we've come to realize like how much more memorable this like this kind of form that we're working in. People remember things from our show and our work years later. And no one remembers like any of the stories we've ever done, like ever in our lives, you know, like <laughs> even from like the, like, like from one week to the next, you know, people don't re you know, remember that story on, you know, homelessness, but they'll remember the ants. These are ants, hundreds and hundreds of small black ants. You know, like four, like four years later, somebody came back and like, I can't, I can't forget those ants like crawling around the room. You know, like I don't, I don't, you know, there's something there. Like there's something powerful there right. as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, maybe one more anecdote on all this is like as a reporter, you know, I remember getting my first couple stories on, on morning edition and all things considered and being really excited. And, you know, people I grew up with would call me and be like, oh my God, I heard you on the radio. I'm like, oh, what'd you think of the story? And they couldn't even like express the basic, I like ideas or facts of the story they'd be like oh it was like something about a farmer or something and i was like wow i worked <laughs> on that story for like two weeks and like i'm glad you liked it but you also can't remember any of it and that's i think it started to dawn on me it's like that's because that story had the same exact format as every other story it's it was the same length mm. it had the same kind of tropes yeah. and development and it's like it's just not going to stick even if it's a really good important well-told story I mean, that's a that's a debate that we've long been having in the world of academe, like, mm -hmm. you know, do lectures work? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because prof we professors love talking, you know, and, and we love to give lectures, but do they actually do anything for students at all? Um, and and it's kind of humbling because, you know, you, you 
you test them on stuff and it's like, nope, none of that sunk in at all. And then you have to come up with alternate methods, yeah. you know? That's why my physics, so yeah. my physics professor in college, who I loved, like, that's why he was like, you come into class and you have a bowling ball hanging from the ceiling and he'd like go stand in the room, put it at his nose and you'd be like, oh, all right, we're talking about like conservation of motion or like he did all that stuff. Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> and it actually, it worked, yeah. you know? I don't remember Newton's laws, but I remember the bowling ball. <laughs> So what are your bowling balls? Like what, what kinds of specific techniques have resulted from this escape from narratives? Well, it's funny. We were just talking about that last night in a crisis of confidence yeah. of like, do we just are, do we just have our seven tricks that we do every time with sound? <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, it also depends on, on what we're talking about because, you know, we, we do make these two different, we have like two different forms now, basically, you know, we have this eight channel thing in a live space and we have a, another kind of show built for two channels, built for headphones. Maybe we should describe the which two is, shows. Which is very different, and we do different things. But yeah, go, yeah, we should yeah. describe the show. So the two shows are, we have a live show where we have a eight-channel speaker array, and there's eight speakers spread around the room, kind of like in a box or sort of a... Yeah, it's a, it's a box around the audience. And the audience sits in the middle with an eye mask on in total darkness, and each speaker is independently controlled. So to take the ant example... We have these ants recorded with contact microphones, and then we can move them around the space. So they can appear in one speaker and then disappear and appear in another speaker. They can kind of move from one speaker to the other. They could be on all eight speakers. Um, so it's just sort of, yeah, multi-channel immersive communal listening event that's live. A fair number of our listeners will be interested in the sort of technical aspects of that. So oh, like, cool. what, what do you, what kind of... <laughs> You know, mixer are you using? Like, how, how does how does this work when you're yeah. rotating the sound around eight different channels? I think we do it in as like sort of analog and um, basic a way as you can. We don't even use a mixer. We have a, we use an, we have an audio interface with eight outs, and we run everything through Pro Tools. In this case, um, it doesn't have to be Pro Tools, but it works pretty easily. And we we just we just design we just we just designate things to you know like each output has its own track or two, and then we're you know using mostly volume automation sometimes some other stuff like some delay and reverb to make the thing, you know move from speaker one to speaker two in like a smooth, believable way type of a thing. It's funny. It's like it is very like sort of cave person <laughs> in terms of like like we because we, like you we're know not using any fancy digital yeah like we're not. Like there's, there is stuff that exists. I mean, right? we have like, played, a, we have an ambisonic mic. Uh, we played around, you know, with uh, the sort of 3D virtual uh, uh, audio editing uh, plugins and yeah. stuff. But we found that like, since what we're not, we're doing 99 times out of 100, what we're doing is not a realistic representation of reality. It's taking something yeah. like uh, a shotgun mic recording of something specific or a contact mic recording of ants. Uh, and then manipulating that and creating a piece that's asceticized. So for us, it's like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I mean, it has like, you know, we have a couple parts in our show where there's like a person walking around you. Yeah. And like that actually probably would have been a lot easier to if we like recorded it well with an Amazonic mic and then played it back on the eight channels, like using this fancy software. And instead, what we did is I sat in the in the middle of the speaker array and Chris would be like, OK, the guy's walking from here to here. Does that sound you know realistic? And, <laughs> you know. Oh wow! And so, so are am I right in thinking this is a Pro Tools session with eight tracks, and each track is 
is um, the output to a different channel, and then you're just kind of fading sounds from one track yeah, to another? Yeah, in the most simplistic terms, yes. That's basically what we're doing. Yeah. Wow. If any of your listeners have a, really well. have a better um, solution. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like well, I said. Better is relative. Like, right. Maybe it, something would work better, but but our system like is very, it's very sort of foolproof. And yeah. Like I, I was, at least for my brain, it's very simplistic, right? I can just, I, you can just designate a track to a, to a space and like, it's just easy for my brain to work that way. But if, you know, everybody's different. And I do think we, we are, there are things like, it would be great to say, take our, our mix for our first live show and do it on a speaker array that had 40 speakers or the speaker array that was like configured in like a dome or some other and again, I know we, we, we have experimented with software that can sort of do that. We just, yeah. you know. But we haven't really gone into that world. And I, we, and whenever, whenever we've tried, it's like, yeah, if, if we have the guy that's supposed to be walking around you and we built it for the eight speakers, like it just, it works on that system. And, right. you know, so again. Yeah, I like think, there, are, there, are, there are like Dolby Atmos plugins yeah, that yeah, were yeah. theoretically you could mix it in atmos and then take it to any theater with that kind of system exactly. but in reality will it really translate the way that you guys have your own speakers right like you right you've got your thing put together i really like the kind of punk rock <laughs> born out of ignorance <laughs> just, right it just came out of you know here's like what i know and here's how i can figure out this problem well, you know because like we're we weren't coming from like super um educated you know, like sound engineer places. Like this came from just like knowing how to mix stuff. And then, you know what I mean? Like, so like we were coming yeah. at it from a, from a basic angle and this is like how we figured it out. A basic angle and of limited resources. We're going to do it in our first show. Oh, like, yeah, All right, right. We need an interface. Oh, the Motu has eight yeah, <laughs> channels. Great. great. We got eight speakers. Like one. Great. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, you, you guys did like a, a residency, I believe it was at Cornell. Yes. And, where where you did like a sonic portrait of the university. And I was just like kicking myself because I teach a sound class where I have students go out with field recorders and stuff. And I never thought of really having them do that kind of in-depth portrait of the of of the sorts of nooks and crannies and different areas of specialization of a university in that yeah. way. And I, I kind of felt like that's where maybe the NPR reporter side came into play, like really snooping into the sonic dimensions of this huge campus. That's a good point, actually. I mean, right. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we came at that project with, you know, in our like sort of world according to sound hats, but I think, yeah, like the way that we do a lot of our work clearly like it's clearly informed from our public radio and from our reporting sort of you know skills and so yeah i mean we only did a few things there with actual students we but we did like work with students on like three of the sound pieces like we had this this simultaneous recording um of like the chimes from eight from like 12 different locations on campus so we had a bunch of students work with us on that, but we did the Latin class. That was fun. Omnes una voce. amas, 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 amatis, Cum manducat fide uxor mea yogurt. 
nós devemos emerei multum et nescio cuius generis yogurt placet uxori mei Chobani portase si Chobani etiam vidi in frigidario nostro I mean, that's like, again, we're, we're super critical of public radio and NPR and, and there's like a lot of critique to be had. But actually, I think why we can do what we do is because of the narrative lens that we've gotten from working in public radio for so long. You know, it's like you're presented with a sound like, OK, we have a, a Latin class, conversational Latin, where, where the point of the class is the sound, uh, you know, to actually speak Latin as opposed to just read it and write it. How can we make something sonically interesting out of that that has a point? And right. like the frame for that is kind of. A narrative frame, you know, that, and the same with the chimes piece. Like, okay, we we have this idea of recording the sound of this central uh, uh, bell tower, bell tower at all these different places. But there's a narrative idea of how we're going to like hear all the different places and the same song. Like, it's a narrative construct, and that's definitely from working in public radio for so long. And that's what's beautiful about yeah. public radio. Like that, you know, in, in in its best sense, that's what like the best folks in public radio have done through the years is like figured out how to capture an idea or or a, a story sonically uh, and present it to people. So uh, starting in January 2022, so this coming January, um, you have a new series uh, that you're presenting. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, well, maybe to take a step back, like, so yeah, once the pandemic started, we we took our live show because we couldn't do it in person and we decided we would live stream it and we would translate the eight channel mix to uh, a headphone mix and try to keep a lot of the spatialization. Um, so we, we made the first show, which was all about like quarantine, basically like the sonic experience of quarantine. And we recorded a lot of stuff with binaural mics and we remixed a lot of the eight channel stuff for two channels to keep the spatialization. Uh, and we did that show and it was, re- it went really well. Like, a, you know, we, had like 250 people at our first live show and they mm-hmm. bought tickets and what we did so we decided you know we, we we didn't want it to be like you're at home sitting in front of zoom listening to audio on your crappy computer speakers which was like 99 percent of the offerings during pandemic right we decided yeah. we wanted to create something that really had that like live communal listening feel so what we did was we mailed everyone an eye mask and these instructions for how to tune in um and then everyone would like listen at the same time to this live stream of this show. Um, and that show went really well. And we decided to make a series. Yeah. Yeah. So we made, we, this is last year, we made a nine sort of part series. Um, four of them were just the, like, like these themed shows uh, that on a abstract theme, like time or, or bodies. And we'd have all this different material, like our own stuff. And again, working with, with other artists. And then we had these other four shows about like, about sound artists basically so we had the chronos quartet we had bill fontana we had matmos and we made these yeah it's like these like 70 minute yeah basically you know i don't again we don't have a good term for it because our language doesn't really have it but these (laughs) but these 70 minute audio experiences like we can't like shows are wrong yeah whatever. show is clearly there the wrong word because it's visual which is, which is still weird i always feel so clunky audio right. event i don't know and performance know. seems a little yeah it's not really performance yeah either. it's a little yeah, right. above our pay grade <laughs> but but yeah it's like i mean we did these things you know once a week like in the dead of winter in the dead of pandemic and they were just so i mean you know we get like 150 people to come to a show so it's it's a lot but also not a lot but it was, you know, this like community of people and the same people would come week after week and they were super into it. And it was just like this thing we did, you know, for 
nine weeks every Thursday night. And it's like felt really nice. And, and we talked to people after the show, you know, like there'd be a YouTube chat and we'd be fielding questions and talking to one of the artists as like a guest. And yeah, so we just like want to keep doing it. And we're adding three new shows and it's starting January 6th. So it'll be a 12 week run from January, you know, through basically March. Yep. Uh, a different show every week. And the three new shows are, uh, we're doing a show about uh, audio recorded before 1923, which is entering the public domain on January 1st because of the Music Modernization Act. Um, so all of this, you know, tens of thousands of, of recordings uh, are going to be available. Um, so we're making a show out of all that material. We're making a show on the Firesign Theater. Uh, we're working with some of the surviving members of the group uh, to like present their material from like a sound perspective. And then we're doing a show, uh, we're teaming up with a radio show called Bird Note. And we're doing a show about all things birds. Lots of birds. <laughs> Which will be challenging also. It's all challenging. <laughs> <laughs> we have this habit of picking these projects like, wow, that's gonna, that's a good idea, but that's gonna be hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is amazing. Um, you actually uh, shared with us some sounds, some short pieces yeah. that were excerpted from from some of these live events. Yeah, we made just like little we we're calling them trailers, but they're you know, they're not, but they're just yeah, they're 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 small pieces from the from the whole. Right. These remixes are you drop into your podcast feed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In in like in in preparation for the upcoming series, the kind of like little yeah. little little teasers, little sonic teasers. <laughs> So let's let's listen to one of those. Um, you brought us a piece called Transposition. So maybe let's listen to that and come back and talk about it. We'll just listen to the first couple of minutes. Great. sitting in a room different from the one you are in now. I am recording the sound of my speaking voice and I am going to play it back into the room again and again until the Thank you. 
I'm hearing like shortwave radio sounds, crackling, roaring, electrical hum, and then like a really well-known piece of sound art in in the mix. Yeah. Can you talk about uh, what this piece is doing and and how it relates to this theme of transposition? But all so all the sounds come from our transposition show. The, the idea of the transposition show is just like you know moving people from place to place or putting people in different locations. Like the first recording you hear is this recording uh, uh, of the ionosphere, I think made in the 50s. It's from um, the Folkways collection. It's just a really, really strange recording, like atmospheric recording. Mm. Um, and then yeah, you hear Alvin Lucier, um, you know, I'm sitting in a room, which we liked because it's easy in the same place, but the sound, it keeps changing as, as it's, it's re-recording. Yeah, and for those who for those who aren't familiar with that piece that's a famous piece of his from 1969 where he kind of does this monologue into a mic sitting in a room and about the fact that he's sitting in a room and then keeps re-recording that sound uh playing it back through speakers picking it up with a microphone over and over again until it sort of brings out the harmonic frequencies of the room i guess yeah yeah that's the idea yeah well and he's i mean he also had a little bit of a stutter and so i think what's interesting is like as you as as it just like as the recording deteriorates with each successive re-recording like it all kind of flattens out just into a sound yeah really wonderful piece um but yeah with that little that, that little um episode there's also these all the cuts of um Tony Schwartz, you know, who recorded everything that all these recordings were made from inside his own apartment. So again, like one apartment, one location, but all of these different sounds. It's like the the sonic world of one little space is actually huge. I think that's really kind of the idea there. And then, yeah, and then maybe something that like we were talking about, like our kind of tricks or what we do with sound. Like there's a point in at the end of the piece where like there's all this sound that builds, like all this different sound. And I really like it. Um, but I feel like I have as a, when I'm making things, I find myself, oh, I'm doing that thing again where like all these disparate sounds are coming from all these different spaces and it's all kind of growing to this cacophony. And then there's like a very subtle sound that comes out of the mix. I'm just, I like it, but it does fall into this like, hmm, like how many times can you do that before it becomes a similar problematic format to the, to, to storytelling, you know, like every story has <laughs> got a beginning, middle and end. Every sound mix has its crescendo of stuff, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting like it, it, it are there just certain I don't know modes of cognition, ways of thinking and listening that humans have that sort of, you know, a narrative is going to tend to unfold in a particular way or 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 a piece of yeah. sound, you know, is going to have a certain musicality that's it's going to have these kinds of crescendos and things. But I also often wonder, you know, if if like a super trained musician were to work with us or to like take our like one of our ideas and make something what they would do like i think there are there are different sort of you know ways of human cognition mm. like depending on your background and, and your training um you know it's like you know, like ours whatever like as an individual mine is limited and like sam's is limited but other people have theirs and i i think there are many different ones but it's just that like he and i as sort of individuals were you know, we have a finite number of 
sonic ideas basically and a skill set <laughs> like when occasionally when we try to do some like acting or uh or when we try to do like make a piece musical ourselves there's definitely a it's like all right we get we have a there's a ceiling on that skill set yeah <laughs> but other people's ceilings would be just really different is what i'm saying i guess maybe one thing that i keep returning to that sort of gives me like hope for like making more and more pieces because basically the existential crisis we had the other night was like are we just are we going to do our 10 things and that's going to be it <laughs> you know but I do think that part of what works about our show is we are working in the literal like all of our shows the pieces again coming from the public radio background like a, a lot of them do have kind of an idea or a point or information or, or even a little bit of narrative um, but what comes across in the mix is that I think every piece you can sort of hear the hand behind it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting concept that as a form you can use over and over and over again. Like I think you do like you, you are as a listener experiencing the curatorial hand and that with different material is a, is a valid format. I don't know if that makes any sense. But if you keep hearing the same hand, the same hand doing the same thing <laughs> over and over again. Of that freaking hand. <laughs> yeah. Give me a different hand. Yeah, true. Maybe. That's where I'm. Yeah, that's my pessimism. But well, I I think I think like any great artist, you guys are your own worst critics. I think people are gonna absolutely love this series. I can't wait to listen to it myself. Oh, and, great! And I, uh, you know, I really feel like I've arrived as a podcaster because I have a promo code. <laughs> <laughs> you right, you're right if listeners uh use the promo code phantom power 25 um you can get 25 percent off uh either individual tickets to individual shows or to a season pass and um i don't get any kickback from this or anything this is just purely <laughs> because i think this is like fantastic and and um i'm really excited you know just as a fan to to be in the distributed audience around the world listening to this live it's really exciting thanks guys thanks thanks a lot for for talking to me today yeah no thanks it was it was nice yeah always a pleasure okay so um let's go out on one more piece uh wh wh what do you guys want to share with us we got this other one from a show called bodies which was a really good show and yeah it was, we had this little five minute I don't know what it is, but a five-minute representation of that 70-minute show. This is Bodies by The World According to Sound. Sam Harnett and Chris Hoff. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Record one, lesson one. The unvoiced TH sound, as in thin, nothing, bath, is produced by placing the tip of the tongue lightly against the lower edge of the upper front teeth and blowing out an unvoiced breath. Think, thank. Throw, through. Health is wealth. 
Why does a healthy child put his thumb in his mouth? Thing, thief, through, thin, thick, thread, think. The first tracing is taken from the apex of the heart. Since it is late in the afternoon and this patient is hungry, you can also hear the bowel sounds in this tracing. So that was the inter terminal internal carotid. Now I will angle f up and forward and we'll get the middle cerebral artery. All these sounds are part of our audio show entitled Bodies. It's running on February 17th in our winter listening series. Join us to learn what these sounds are and to hear more like them. You can get tickets at theworldaccordingtosound.org. That's it for this episode of Phantom Power. Just a quick note, shortly after we did that interview, Alvin Lussier, whose work we listened to during the segment, passed away at the age of 90. Lussier was a legend in the world of sound art and a mentor to many, and he will be missed. Thanks again to Chris Hoff and Sam Harnett of The World According to Sound. Remember, you can buy tickets to their winter listening sessions by going to theworldaccordingtosound.org and using the promo code phantompower25. Link in the show notes. You can find that link and transcripts and all of our episodes at phantompod.org. You can also subscribe to our show there or wherever you get your podcasts. 
we'd love it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about us on social media or give us a shout on Twitter or Facebook at Phantom Pod. Our outro music today is by Graham Gibson. Have a happy new year and we'll see you next year. Bye.